out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 show. I'm David Esau. This now is going to be the third part of the interview with drummer, um, writer and also fashion designer. It is the one and only Terry Graham. So this is uh, part three, as I probably just said. Anyway, um, so picking up from part two, which is normally the way these things work, um, we discuss really what happens post-band when he gets back home. Anyway, Terry's going to tell us more. He's going to tell us everything. Terry, it's over to you. Yeah, and then we, we um, after we got back, it was just kind of one of those things after, you know, I some years doing all of that and the intensity of all those early days, uh, basically almost living on the street in Los Angeles, you know, just 24 seven involved with uh, seeing bands every night and, and uh, just a crazy kind of wife um, fun and uh, loved every minute of it really. But I think it was just time for sort of a break. And so we went back to Amy's um, hometown in, in the suburbs of Chicago took care of her mother for a little while. She passed away shortly after. And then it was just kind of like, well, hmm, what do we do? And so we, I ended up staying there for seven years in uh, in Chicago. And I I bought a suit. I became a stockbroker. I went to work every day on the train. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I froze my ass off. So Chicago was very cold. Yes. Um, and, how do you, and how do you make that kind of jump? You know, because it's not like you've... Um been to college or had been uh, some sort of apprenticeship so how do you manage to sort of make that jump from yes I was in a band slightly dysfunctional some nice characters yeah, but know, to, right? to suddenly oh yes I'm now in the on the stockbroker front yeah how do I convince them uh, of this well at the time which uh you know was in the 80s I mean that whole thing sort of intrigued me and I was you know interested in making some money and I kind of I sort of liked all of that. I, I, I sort of put myself in a role where if I learned to do this, I could go back to Los Angeles and all those kind of feckless, clueless people who make all this money, uh, whether it's in music or movies or whatever, maybe I could help them. Maybe I could actually be a voice of reason in a sea of sharks, you know, that are just trying to take them for their money. They don't know what to do with it, um, especially those situations where people make money a lot of money suddenly you know they, they really are overwhelmed by it yes. and they have a hundred voices screaming in their ear what to do what to do here's what you do you know and they don't know who to believe who to trust and i thought well i've been there i've done it i know what that's like although not to make sudden money but you know i could be a voice of reason in all this so i, I really did have some um you know something behind it it wasn't completely uh nefarious <laughs> you know i uh and i genu genuinely wanted to do that it didn't quite it didn't work out like that but um uh but i was able you know these at the time in the 80s in america making money and and sort of being all that whole wall street thing uh they'd hire anybody i mean if you can pass the uh, tests, the state and federal tests to become what is called a um, registered representative. And it was about an eight hour test, all about money and finances and some general questions, some very 
uh, very uh, particular questions about, and I had read up and studied and, and I had a huge thick book that, uh, you know, um, had all kinds of practice answers and I passed the test. So uh, I did it. And, um, uh, but, you know, I'm also in a relationship. It's also has its own dynamic and, and uh, that kind of takes us here and takes us there. We went to Texas for a little while. And, and um, you know, so eventually it just it doesn't quite work. I, I knew that eventually I just wanted to make my way back to Los Angeles. And yeah. some years later, I did. And uh, my I wanted to write a book, uh, which I did. And um, um, I was going to write a book about the scene and stuff that happened. And a friend of mine in New York, she was very blunt and She's just like, well, I'm not going to read the damn thing if it's just about everybody else. I'll read it if it's about you. And I said, well, I'm not the celebrity. I'm not, I can't, who cares? And she said, well, but, you know, if you're going to do a book like that, sort of an insider's account, it's got to be about you. And I, and that, that was hard for me to accept. It's like, well, ew, who wants to know about that? <laughs> so um, what's the book called, <laughs> by the way? Well, it, it's, uh, it's called Punk Like Me, Liner Notes for a Revolution That Almost Happened. And, and uh, it came out two or three years ago now. Now, I have, I re-edited the whole thing, and, and I'm actually in negotiations with a, a UK publisher to bring it out uh, for the UK, for Europe, and for, for all of that. It never, it never made it over. I never had a distributor originally uh, three years ago when it first came out. Right. But... I felt like the revolution that so-called um, sort of the whole punk rock thing was it, it, it happened later, but it didn't happen for us. You know, we wanted to change the playlists on radio. We wanted to, we thought that American youth would um, love the Ramones and, and all that followed and, um, you know, just, just beat a path to this kind of music because it was so fun and so different and so exciting. <laughs> of course, that did not happen. Instead, they went for Guns N' Roses uh, yes. or Motley Crue, you know? So it, it was like um, a lesson. Um, if, if you look around, and I said this in the book, like when we were touring the Midwest of America, and I said, wow, people really love their corn around here. You know, and I meant that in a food way and I also meant that in a cultural way. <laughs> <laughs> They really like their bland sort of thing, but that, that can't be true. It's not true. When they see something better, they'll go for it. And, you know, at the end of the tour, I realized, wow, you know what? People really do like their corn and they're not <laughs> going to give it up. And um, so it, it, it's just like, you know, at some point you realize, well, I'm a part of something. It's got a lot of very intense fans, but it's never going to be more than that. And even if it was or wasn't, why do you want it to be that anyway? You know, this is what I took away from all of it was just that the people and the relationships and, and the excitement of being a part of something so intense where people believed in it so much. And it was just so much creative music that was, that was you know, that happened in those years. Um, and I'm like, well, that's if that's not a reward, I'm, I'm not sure what is. Yes. Um, and uh, and being in Gun Club, too, which, you know, in New York. Billy Idol came backstage to one of our shows. And this was right after the Dancing With Myself single came out. He wasn't really going anywhere. It was before the albums where he became a big seller. 
And he asked me to join his band. He said, well, I'm going to put some guys together and we're going to go in the studio and we're going to do this white wedding thing. <laughs> <laughs> and his wife was with him at the time. And, um, and I was very flattered. I'm like, hmm, that's kind of, kind of tempting, but what is a Billy Idol? I don't even know. I mean, I like Generation X and he was a great, really nice guy, you know? And I, I thought, well, this could be fun. It could be cool. But is it different? Is it unique? Is it, is it what I'm doing? Is it like Gun Club? Is it unique music like that? No, it's not going to be. And <clears throat> so, <clears throat> you know, I finally just had to say, sorry, Mr. Idol. Um, <laughs> yeah. In spite of your name. And I think you're, you know, he really was a fan too. I mean, he, he, he liked Roots music. He loved all that stuff. And, and I thought, well, you know, it could be, I could, it, almost like Kid in the Cramps, you know, it's, well, not quite, but I could have a lot of fun doing that, but I'm really going to miss being a part of something that's just so unique that nobody else is even touching this. And I went, I stayed with that because even though I knew it was never going to go anywhere or make any real money, uh, I thought the experience of that music, the experience of fans who really appreciated that is just invaluable. I can't give that up. I just can't. Yes. It's not going to buy me a condo on the beach in LA. No, it's not. But I'm going to have something that's that's just really going to be special. Yeah. And um, as um, you know, speaking of corn, as corny as that may sound, um, <laughs> I I believed it, and and I'm glad I did it because it was uh, it was fun to be on that ride with Jeffrey. You know, as crazy yeah. and wacky as he could be. And with the and with the band and its legacy, are you one of the people who's kind of really holding the baton? You know, bringing out you know reissues and sort of overseeing, or is that a different, a whole different you know gig? For some? Well, I, I'm not overseeing it, but I am in a way the last man standing. Sort of, Ward doesn't want to have anything to do with those things. We um, we were never paid any royalties. Jeff kind of played with the numbers and so we never got anything from any record mm. um and it wasn't fair and that was really uh like a genuine complaint we had about our experience with jeff that's not right you know you don't you can't do that um and i mean i could see if we're all making millions of dollars sure you withheld a couple of hundred thousand but when we're making just a few thousand every dollar counts Mm. And uh, we might need that or we, well, we do, we, we needed it. We didn't get it. So a many years long battle finally ended with us, with Ward and I owning uh, a proportionate share of Fire of Love. And um, now I didn't know what that meant at the time, but there was um, some people that came around that contacted me, a couple of lawyers, they were working with Jeff's family and, and, uh, and this company called Blixa Sounds was going to re-release and remaster all of these things. And since Ward didn't want to have anything to do with writing liner notes or anything, it just fell to me. And so Fire of Love, Miami, and soon to be released Las Vegas story, um, I ended up writing most of the notes, supplying a lot of photographs and just helping as much as I could to uh, bring these out and um, make them, I helped make decisions on some of the live recordings. 
that videotape that was stolen from us, a few hours survived. Right. Unfortunately, not from Europe when Amy was really much better with the camera and everything. But a few hours did survive from America in a Canadian show that is going to be that was included as a DVD. If you buy the CD, it's a download if you get the vinyl. Um, and it's really good. It's a show that we did in Toronto, uh, plus a few little bits uh, after that. But I just think it's Gun Club. To me, it's the ultimate Gun Club. It's it's ironic that the one piece that was saved, the one show that was saved, couldn't have been more indicative of what a Gun Club show is really like. A crazy, wacky, I don't know if he was drunk, I don't know what, Jeff, uh, bad sound. Uh, well, no, not bad sound, but bad lighting. I mean, it's dark. It was just a sweaty, crazy gun club show. And um, so we played with that, you know, tried to make it as good a quality as we could. It's actually pretty good. So that'll be included. Um, and so I just helped add things like that to make these things nice uh, as, as good as they could be. I didn't want to, I didn't want fans to think any, any of this was, just rushed out or thrown out there. No, we really spent a lot of time trying to find the best stuff, uh, remastering things, tweaking things, making it as good as we could. Some of these recordings, you know, decades old. So Yeah. Um, um, and what's it like? Because obviously you play such an important part of the band in the early years, but then there's kind of the other period of the band. Do you, you know, when you sort of engage or listen to that, does that sort of have much kind of interest for you or do you just completely leave? Yeah, it, it does. Uh, well, it does because uh, I became a fan of Jeff's songwriting and, and I, I, I kind of became a fan of just of Jeff's creative process, wherever it was going. I think Jeff wanted to be on stage ultimately for one reason, and that was not necessarily to wrestle with his personal demons, but to exercise his personal demons, to get rid of them, to put them out there, to give voice <laughs> yes. to them. And I know that's true with a lot of bands. I mean, it defines a lot of rock and roll, but, but for Jeff in particular, because he did have some personal uh, issues going on that none of us really figured out, you know, he wasn't, I think if he had just lived, he would have talked about them and worked through them and, and, and all that. But, but uh, I was fascinated by that process and kind of seeing that on stage. Jeff could be really belligerent on stage. He could also be hilarious. He would say things to the audience that I thought, oh, my God, why did you just say that? You just called them all a bunch of sweaty cocksuckers. Why did you do that, Jeffrey? <laughs> it's not going to win any friends. Um, we we opened for Billy Idol, actually, at the, this is the irony of him asking me to be in the band, at the Long Beach Arena, 14,000 people sold out. <clears throat> well, Jeff and Billy knew each other, blah, blah, blah. So, so we opened for them. And when the lights went down, we were not on the marquee. So when the lights went down, all people saw was a vaguely blondish head of hair coming out from the side of the stage. They thought it was Billy. Well, the lights went up. It wasn't Billy. The booze started. I mean, I, to me, it's to hear 14,000 people booing is almost like, an, like, I wish everyone could experience that because <laughs> it was just a kind of tremendous force 
you know, that like a dark force that that uh, was fascinating. And, and then almost immediately the coins, you know, began to fly at us. I wish I'd picked them all up. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and I, I and I'm thinking while I'm playing drums and I'm looking off to the side, you know, there's sort of this mezzanine level that went to the side of the stage. And it's all of these really kind of typical uh uh, American, middle American, night up jock, you know, what we would call jocks. Yes. And just flipping us off, just saying everything awful they could think of to us, because we couldn't hear it, but we could see their mouths move and, and, you know, hating us. I mean, just like wanting to kill us. I'm like, wow, where does that come from? Why is that so intense? Right now, you'll get your Billy Idol in a minute. You know, just let the opening band do their thing. (laughs) And they just, oh my God, they were so antagonistic. And um, so Jeffrey being Jeff, after about five songs, I figured what he told them. He basically told the audience, you know, all of you collectively together can go fuck yourself. And, um, And that was it. Somebody grabbed the microphone or grabbed the cord and jerked it out of his hands and it disappeared into the audience. And that's when the lights went down and that's when our show was over. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking the whole time, I could have been in the headliner, but no, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Opening for that band. Uh, I'm making like, you know, we're getting paid 300 bucks to do this. I don't know what they're getting paid. It's a few thousand, I know that. Blimey. So anyway, but it was still yes. funny. And um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and did you, and then you've, you've also got another side hustle, isn't it, with your clothing company? Yes. Well, I've always loved clothes. I just never gave it any attention other than buying them. And uh, kind of always in the back of my mind, you know, I love this, I love that, and that, reading about it. And, and it was just it, just a thing. I just thought, well, yeah, you know, for me personally, I'll, I'll get these things and I'll wear them. And I, I just kind of appreciated the aesthetic of it anyway, you know, regardless. And um and uh, I, I had a girlfriend uh, who used to joke with me about when we would go shopping. Um, she'd like, uh, you know, we'd go to a big department store or whatever. And she would say, well, I don't know where the Terry wear is, but it's probably over there. Because I was always choosing these sort of, you know, these checked pattern shirts and this kind of 60s looking or anything vintage looking, yes. you know. And she went, well, there's your Terry wear. And so eventually when I'm like, uh, I started talking to Judith Bell, who drew was the artist for the Fire of Love uh, sketches and illustrations on the back. And I said, well, why don't we make t-shirts? And you know, so she said, yeah, great, let's do that. And um, so we're doing it and I said, well, you know, I should create a company out of this. I don't just, you know, Uncle Terry's shirt shop. I can't do that. Um, so I did, cause I thought, well, eventually I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna make a few more different things with t-shirts, but I want to branch out into a completely you know, a complete wardrobe, uh, first for men, and then, you know, it'll be women as well, and everything in between, whatever, and um, so Terry Ware is kind of where it, how that happened, and uh, I am on the verge, I am, I've got some people that are actually making stuff now, uh, other, not just t-shirts, and um, so it's, it, for me, it's just, it's really fun, I really love doing it, and, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a high pressure thing. It's just clothes I can't find. 
yeah that i wish i could Excellent. you know it's like kind of like a modern vintage thing i love old vintage fabrics and and the dis- fabric design that's what i'm trying that's what i want to reproduce that's what i want to have no costumes you know nothing that screams just uh just stuff that's really cool and fun that you could wear you know anywhere and and and, and look good i mean my god how many of us see you know guys including me you know that walk around looking like slobs i mean it's like I know. No, no, wait a minute there's a solution for you. I've got it right here. This is true. I know. I know. Try this. You know? now, so. we in, now I live in a hoodie, which is terrible, isn't it? It's terrible. And but I do yes. all that same thing, you know. So, I know, it's, um, tricky. so it's just fun to do. I mean, know? just, I mean, to, but, you know, lastly, I mean, I mean, when, when you got the news that Jeff, Jeffrey had passed away, were you quite surprised that, um, was that quite a shock for you? No, no, no. After I, that was not a surprise at all. I, sad but not surprised I thought wow he actually lived a long time considering what he's ingested the odd thing was that I was not living in in LA I had visited LA I actually went to the Viper Room of all places which I just wanted to stay away from at all costs because it had been so overblown with Johnny Depp and all these celebrities that you know pretending to be rock and roll and here's my nightclub and this is proof I'm you know all just fake crap and um but nonetheless i went and there was jeff also there i guess ironically (laughs) and i hadn't talked to him in over a decade and it was a lot of animosity there was a lot of rumors and a lot of his fans like in his fan clubs right now they they don't like me because because they, they, I talked badly of him in, in a documentary, and, and and I did, you know, and I kind of regret that. I wish I hadn't, but I was pissed, and mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, but, but I, I've been trying to make up for it ever since. But those <laughs> people will always be, I'll always be the Judas or something. <laughs> That's fine. I, I can wear that and and not not be not have a problem. But but there was Jeff, and I just said, oh, what do I do? Well, I walked over to him. I stuck out my hand. I said, how you doing, Jeff? And we shook hands. And it was just like 10 years of absence when all of these rumors and these things fly. And he wrote things about me and my girlfriend at the time, Amy, that her dad invented napalm or some completely ridiculous thing like that. Her dad was a private in the army in the 50s. He was one of the guinea pigs that tested napalm, but he never invented napalm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, Jeff, you got that so wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, all of that kind of thing is swirling around in the meantime, and then we are face-to-face. And I just met him. He smiled. I smiled. I said, what are you doing, man? You know, let, 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 let's talk. And he actually looked good. I, I didn't think he looked bad. I'd heard lots of rumors about that, too. Mm-hmm. He handed me his card, and all it said on the card was just show business. That's it. No phone number, no Jeff. It just said show business. And I thought, Oh my God, Jeffrey, that's the most perfect business card I've ever seen. <laughs> it's got no, there's no way to contact you. It's just show. I mean, it was his little joke, you know. And um, and he died about five months later. Right. So, it, uh, yeah, I mean, there's an initial shock, like, wow, how could Jeff, he's been through so much. He's lived through, he survived so much. How could he finally succumb? You know, I didn't, it just seems like it's not possible. But then my second thought was, 
you know, after everything that he's done to himself, it's it's not surprising. It's yes, it's just uh, a loss. You know, it's a loss for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it was something you could have just whispered in your your ear when you were sixteen, you know, some some sort of advice or you know the wisdom or experiences that you've had, and you could have just said something. Is there something that you would have just liked to have just imparted on that person? Well, yeah. I mean, I kind of, I, I know so many people in their 20s and bands and I'm constantly going to see them and supporting them. And and uh, I, I'm so impressed by their energy and their desire to do this still, you know. Um, and, I, and I just tell them to, to, um, uh, to stop and think every now and then. Stop and take stock of the people around you and if if it's possible really learn to appreciate them while you're doing it i know it's hard because mm-hmm. you don't have perspective but but really do that and and if there's anything that you see that doesn't feel right uh, or or you know talk to them tackle them in the parking lot if you have to and and find out what that is because that person and that talent and that energy and that laughter that inspires you might be gone before you know it. Or at some point down the road, you might think, oh, 10 years from now, who knows what will be happening? Well, no, you'll still know that person. You'll still be connected. And if they're suddenly no longer there, you don't have that anymore. Mm. So just stop and take, take stock of the people around you and appreciate them. And, and that connection that you feel, that energy that you share, um, uh, consider that the most valuable thing in life. Uh, it's mm. When you go to sleep at night, that's what you're going to think about. I mean, if you've won the lotto and you suddenly have millions of dollars, you might think about that too. But, uh, you know, otherwise, that's, that's what you take to the grave, I think, is mm. those things. And, uh, uh, you know... They call me Uncle Terry now when I go out and watch them. It's, ah, it's Uncle Terry, yes. <laughs> Uncle Terry, who was in Gun Club. And they all know Gun Club. I mean, in every song, there's such an appreciation. It, it just amazes me. Um, yes. I mean, I was, you know, I was, you know, looking at Spotify. I mean, the monthly listening figures are extraordinary, aren't they? I mean, you must be getting more fans now than you ever had when the band... I think so. I mean, yeah, and I still... I'm kind of the point person. Here I am in LA where we were born as a band. And all these people, of course, are aware of that, that history. They have the benefit of the internet and they can learn these things and see these things and hear these things immediately. And um, uh, so they, they in turn appreciate that, I, that I'm just out hanging out and I'm just enjoying what they're doing. And there's some really talented people. It's just tough for them yes. right now to uh get their voices heard um but yes but, but, when, I, but when you listen to um you know mother mother of earth that's been played seven seven million times yeah i know <laughs> listen i i you know i was surprised i really am it's it's like i i uh i just i just love the fact that somebody else loves it you know, that was me and Jeff, you know, I was just playing a snare drum and him singing at the same time, you know, we Amazing. just did that. And, and it, and when somebody tells me that, and I do, you know, people write and stuff and uh, over time. And I, I just, you know, I try to be as connected to them as I can. 
and I try to give back as much as I can. I thought, well, a lot of people did things for me. I'm trying to do this for them in a particularly tough environment right now. It's mm. really hard. Um, and COVID, you know, certainly didn't make it any easier. <laughs> but now that they're all starting to play again in the shows, I'm going to be, I'm going to a show tomorrow night and then Saturday night of um, all these uh, young people, young bands, and they've got so much energy and and uh, they just love what they're doing. And I really feel like it's my duty almost to be right on that street with them, supporting them and telling them how much I enjoy what they're doing. Yeah, um, well, that's a, that's a great thing to do. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I mean, it makes me feel good. I, I enjoy, I just enjoy it. Um, yeah. So, you know, you do what you can, whatever works. That's not the best way. I know lots of other people, my peers doing various things. Uh, and it's, it, you know, it's, it's all good. And um, so, okay. yeah. Yeah. Well, look, Terry, thank you ever so much for this. It's been amazing. I'm so pleased that even though we had to do three different sort of starts again, but at least we're <laughs> yes, good on well, Zoom. And um, well, are you still in the car? You, by, are, are you still in the car? I'm still in the car. Can you believe it? I'm still in the car. Yeah. It's, okay, it nice? it's good. Is it nice weather in LA, by the way? <laughs> it's, it's, um, David, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but it's really right now perfection. It's about 69 degrees and the sun is out. There are a couple of clouds. Now, this is our time of year and the clouds will completely disappear. Rain will be something we only see on YouTube. And um, for six months, uh, it's sad. That's why when I go to Texas next month, I'm hoping to see massive thunderstorms i really miss them yes. but um <laughs> but uh it's it's actually quite nice here i'm i'm uh uh yes it's really good now you know it'll get hot it'll get kind of difficult here uh as well but uh but yeah i have to say it's 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 pretty damn nice brilliant um, that's <laughs> nice well look I'm going to go to bed. But thank you ever so much. And yes, if you want, I can always send you the link for this, and that would be amazing. So you can always use please it. Please do that, David. Yes, I please. Will. Yes. Okay, look. Really appreciate it. Take and care. Thank you, David, so much. I really, really enjoyed doing this, too. Thank really? you. Yeah, I'll look forward to your book as well, actually. That will be very exciting. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep you updated about how that's going to happen, because if it doesn't happen through the publisher, I, I, I've already got ways to get it to, uh, get it to Europe uh, and the UK uh, uh, on my own. Yeah. And so, uh, like I said, I, it's, it's just been uh, completely redone and I like it uh, so much better now. But, but anyway, thank you, David. Really, yeah. really fun to do. Take Appreciate care. It. And uh, okay, yeah, you too, up. man. Love talking to you. Take care. Bye bye. All right. Bye, David. Bye. And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. I know you can wake up now. Anyway, look, a massive thank you to Terry Graham for giving me the time for that interview. Um, so much appreciated. And hopefully he'll be bringing out more bits and pieces in the future, he seems to. Uh, you can find his website, which is if you just do Terry Graham and put probably, probably put the Gun Club, you'll find uh, his website. Anyway, this has been David Esau, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me for some nice reason, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And if it's not nice, I wouldn't bother, really. Don't even listen to these shows. Um, yeah, so that's that. And also, these interviews have all been archived. Lucky you. On Podbean, um, iTunes and Spotify. Anyway, look, that's it. Announcement's over. Have a great week. Stay safe.